It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The father of the alleged Chelsea bomber is in the news because he, the father, told police years ago his son might be a terrorist. By the way, that plus beats his wife, trip to Pakistan, posting on YouTube songs of jihadi anthems. Come on. Should have been major red flags. I do not see what is wrong with taking that one data point, violence against women. Many terrorists have that. It's a terrible thing into and of itself. And if you get another one of these data points doing some serious monitoring on that individual. Anyway, the dad was in the news for all that. But literally, he was on the news wearing a hat I could not place. This is my thing. When notorious people get arrested and are on the news wearing branded merchandise, I always think to myself that the brand must be like, oh no, why can't Donald Trump's son just use us in an analogy? There are a couple examples. When the South Carolina shooter, there are all these pictures of him holding Confederate flags and he was wearing a gold gym tank top. And the Orlando shooter was wearing an NYPD shirt. That was just weird. Anyway, this one, this is the dad. It's not the bomber, alleged bomber, confirmed dad. And he was wearing this hat that read either MHD or MD. And you're like, wait, how could it be either both? Well, picture the M, capital M, and picture the capital D. And if you put a horizontal line between the M and the D, that could be an H or it just could be a connective line. Anyway, I did some sleuthing. I couldn't figure it out. MHD searches, MD searches, reverse image searches. I called every hat manufacturer in North America. Nothing striking out. But then I saw a side angle of the hat. And it was the Whirlpool logo. And this broke the case. He was wearing a hat of the multi-housing depot. Who are they? I will read you from their website. The leading apartment and multifamily supplier, MHD, is much more than just an appliance vendor or cabinet contractor. It's integrated services which help the multifamily industry run efficiently and profitably. Also providing the headgear for angst-ridden fathers of alleged terrorists since 2016. I guess any publicity is good publicity. No, Mike, this is not good publicity. On the show today, polls show Hillary Clinton could lose the election thanks to her inability to inspire millennials. I offer my carefully crafted and non-judgmental words of uplift to millennials, or as I call them, the truly greatest generation. But first, Operation Avalanche is a new mockumentary from a Canadian duo. The film is set in 1969. It concerns the moon landing or, as Operation Avalanche would have it, the faked moon landing. You will not believe how they got period footage inside NASA's mission control. Or you might once I tell you that they tricked NASA's mission control into being in their film. Producer Matt Miller and writer, director, and star Matt Johnson, up next. We choose to go to the moon in this decade. If you listen to the tape, JFK says decade for some reason. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. A sentence before, he knows how to say decade. We choose to do it and the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. So we put a timetable on that speech. By 1969, NASA, America had to get to the moon, and history shows us they did. Or did they? A new film, Operation Avalanche, which I'm going to let the star and creator and the producer describe the plot to you because it's a a chameleon eating its own tail and then turning into a lizard. This new film is about moon landing conspiracies, uh, plays with the form of documentary. It's really funny. 
seems really authentic. I think it might be more authentic than even I thought it was. Matt Johnson is here. Matt Miller is here. Thank you guys for coming in. Thank you for for having having us. us. Okay, so Miller, you had to do the pitch. What would you say? How would you uh, describe it to people who are like, what the hell is this thing? It's two young CIA agents full of ambition trying to get ahead. And uh, they get sent to NASA looking for a Soviet mole. And they get there and they get a lot more than they bargained for. They find out NASA can't fulfill JFK's promise. And Johnson's character thinks, well, why don't we fake it? Yeah. The moon conspiracy theorists of which you guys are not too. And, but then, by the way, anyone associated with the movie actually believe that there was a moon conspiracy that you know well, of? Well, considering there's only like five or six more people associated <laughs> with the movie than those in this room, we would yes. know and know. No, I, I mean, thought, like, I thought you were going to say there were members. only five or six people who think the moon oh, audience members. Oh, the, the, we've got crazy stories about that. Every single film festival we screen this movie at, there's one or two people in the audience who believe that it's real, know that it's real, yeah. and came there normally with pamphlets to give us. Did they enjoy, did they appreciate the fact that you pulled from whatever, we, we all admit the conspiracy is, well, conspiracy doesn't mean fake, but the conspiracy is not real. Of course, we landed on the moon. But you did pull strands from what the conspiracies were. Do they at least appreciate that you nodded to what the you know general, if, if you believe that it was faked, how you believe it was faked? They loved it so much that they refused to believe that we don't believe it. Oh, and I don't mean that good. in any kind kind of insincere way. Every single time we've talked to a real conspiracy head who has seen this movie at a festival, they look at me and ask me questions as though they know I'm on the take and that he and I are speaking a secret language. And even though I'm saying in these Q&As, yeah, no, none of us believe this. We just thought it was a great story. We were just trying to do it as real as possible. That is not convincing them. And they believe that that we were giving a message specifically Because there to them. are phrases, there are uh, terms, there are little bits, little data points. I knew that Kubrick, for instance, was involved and maybe Kubrick faked it. But there's little things, the degradation of the film, uh, this film stock, that's a big thing. What else is in there that if I'm not steeped in moon landing conspiracy, wouldn't actually speak to me as anything, but actually to them, they're like, aha. That's a great question because we did tons and tons of work trying to get those meticulous details right. So one of the big ones is that all of the rocks on the set, the quote unquote set, were apparently from a Hollywood prop shop and labeled with letters. And we made sure our rocks were labeled with letters. And we talk about the A rock, the B rock, the C rock, which is famous in a lot of these old photographs. The cross hatching on the photographs that uh, that photographic experts say was manipulated. We made sure we manipulated them live on camera in the exact same way. The way that the moon dust or the the sand was uh, was sourced, we sourced from the same place that the conspiracy theorists say it was sourced from. Um, really? Where was that? Uh, well, it's not a specific place, but yeah. of the same type of yeah. sand that wow, they they said the it was. Same sand. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty long list. Kubrick is getting NASA to make sure that his space movie looks like real space, and so we're going to use his space movie to make sure the real space movie looks like space. Do you see how crazy that is? Were there any actual sixty nine? elements that were authentic that you said, actually, this isn't scanning as authentic to the period, like things that you had to take out, even though they were from 69. That's a good question. The biggest one was a plane that I ride in. It was built in 1968 (laughs) that for whatever reason, it looked like modern. It was a little tiny, like puddle jumper plane. We keep the shot in, but our VFX supervisor was like, "I, I wish you weren't using this shot. I like... 
it just looks too modern. It turns out the plane was built that year, but, but... But to that point, I mean, one of the ways we approached doing the period movie on a small budget is that we weren't anal about these things. Mm-hmm. Right. And, it, and if we've researched something and it was like, oh, you know, that TV didn't come out till 1972, if it passed our eye test, then that was okay. Whenever I watch a certain type of period piece, like uh, that 70s show... Sure, they're showing a lot of stuff that happened in the 70s, but they're also showing the stuff that scans as iconic to 2016 or whenever that show came out, 2004, to us. So it's not that it's inauthentic. It's just that everything is of the heightened authenticity pointing, look at me, look at me. It's cliche. Yeah, and it seems like you were you tried to avoid that as much as you could. Well, because we were just working with what we could get. I, this movie, the, uh, what excited us about this movie was not the 1960s. Yeah. To put it to put it bluntly, like we did not want to make a movie about the 1960s at all. We wanted to make a movie about this story of of young guys faking the moon landing. That's what was wicked to us. So all the 60s stuff was incidental. N- none of us are real 60s heads except for like liking the music from that period. So I think us not sh- not fetishizing that era helped a ton because we weren't like, oh, we got to get you know, this landmark or we got to get this news story. Like the way Mad Men would have, you know, these like iconic news moments happening as, right. as big story points. We avoided all of that because the fact is like, like we're living right now, uh, we're not thinking about these major news events as they affect the stories of our day-to-day lives. Right. We're, th- we're thinking, you're we're thinking about your life here. Right. It's late, you're right? in a plain white t-shirt. I'm in a mountains goats t-shirt and Miller, thanks for dressing up. You're wearing a button down. But if this were the 2036 version of 2016. We'd all be wearing band shirts. Yes. You would say vote for Hillary. Exactly. And, and, and exactly. all that stuff would be iconographized in, even in this room. Okay. So when they came to you with this as a producer, you probably say great idea, but have you really really thought out how difficult this is going to be in terms of not just a fake documentary, but a fake documentary where everything has to appear that it's 1969. You guys film on the fly. If a car, a, a fender of a car shows up yeah. in the shot, the shot's ruined. Well, that was where all the fun was coming from. <laughs> like we had just done the dirties and we knew we could do that. I mean, the dirties is a set in a high school. It's about two kids. It's very small production. Right. And not so, a period piece. You could control the environment. Exactly. Right. And we shoot a lot in real environments. And so mm-hmm. that was allowing us to play to our strength. And that was, you know, the first thing we were trying to figure out is how can we can take that model and do it in a period environment on still a relatively l- low budget. So, I, I mean, I wasn't scared. You were scared. Get real. Come on. I, I, I think we were all scared, man. Yeah. We took away all of our greatest weapons. And some of the stuff that we did when we were talking about how to do it, the car chase, that stuff with Kubrick, we we're like, yeah, this is just impossible. Mm-hmm. And so we approached it from the point of view that we couldn't do it. And so it was only through months and months of like rigorous trial and error that it was done at all. And then, I mean, what you don't see is all the stuff that we digitally had to take out of the frame. As you say, a car would go by and Tristan would have to just digitally take it out. So that's the deal. Without that technology, this film could no have way. been made. Which is what's so ironic because we're making a movie about them faking <laughs> yeah. up film footage from the 1960s in the year 2016 and only because of 2016 video technology can we make it seem like it's How 1960s. long ago was that digital minute? How could you have made this five years ago, 10 years ago? Yeah, 10, but 10 we years were, ago, for no. Mon- for the money. No, oh, no. hell no. Five yeah. years ago, no. Yeah. Five years ago, no. I'm going to get to the fact that you snuck into NASA. You didn't sneak in. You were invited into NASA. Yeah. And you filmed there and used that. I'm going to get. But is your ultimate goal to film a Jason Bourne esque international thriller entirely in Epcot Center? 
Is that your goal? <laughs> He's on to us, Johnson. <laughs> you know, that's not a bad pitch for a movie. And you know what? I can connect that to some great legal advice. And that's that. Did you see the film Escape from Tomorrow? Do you know the story about that movie? There's an entire movie filmed in Disney World illegally. Oh, right. Permission. Yes. Yes. Horror movie filmed without permission in Disneyland. And because of that movie, we got to make Operation Avalanche. And I'll tell you how. The lawyer who made that movie releasable was the same lawyer who made our movie releasable because I was on the film festival circuit with that film. And I said, how did you guys do that? And they told us about this lawyer. We met with him. We said, hey, we want to shoot at NASA without permission. And he said, I can make you do that. Okay. So let's talk about it. What was the planning? What was the idea? And how did it actually work out? Well, the planning was, let's see what NASA will let us do. We were film students at the time and we said, hey, we're making a documentary about the 1960s as a thesis project. Will you let us come film there? And they said, yeah, that sounds inoffensive enough. Let's do it. Because NASA's, I think, quite actively trying to get media attention on what they're doing, which is, I think, great. So we went down there all wearing our period clothes with our period cameras and just hoped for the best. And it turned out that they didn't bat an eye. We just started filming, doing things, and they thought, yeah, this is a bit bizarre, but they did not ask the hard question of, is this a movie about faking the moon landing? Well, that would be <laughs> quite a leap to make. Yeah. Yeah. So and you had to, you had to take out all the stuff that was modern. Everything. But luckily, the big stuff, the hardware, is straight out of the 60s. There's, all their monitors. They're keeping all... it like a museum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause they don't, they don't want to remove that stuff, which I think is awesome. Obviously not every bit of footage shows up in the movie, but when you walked out of there, were you like, this did, we, we got felt like better we robbed we a bank. Wow. We felt like we'd robbed a bank. It was one of the greatest <laughs> feelings ever. When we, when we left that place, we thought, one, we didn't think we'd be able to use the footage because we thought what we'd done was so incredibly illegal. And two, we thought if we could use the footage, then maybe we've got a movie because that was the first thing we shot. We shot that before we even had a finished script mm-hmm. or, or I should say a finished outline because we never had a script. So because we got something, we left there thinking, okay, we got a movie. And that was a great feeling. And, and you know, when they made Apollo 13, like Ron Howard built Mission Control. Yeah. And we obviously couldn't do that because we're not Ron Howard and we don't have that kind of budget. You know, it seems so funny to me that that real Hollywood movie about real NASA with NASA's endorsement was shot on a soundstage in California. (laughs) And our movie was shot in the real Mission Control. Yeah. Okay. Matt Miller, Matt Johnson. The movie is called Operation Avalanche. It is a sight to see. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having us, Thanks so much. Hey, what are you doing on election night? Why not spend it with two of your favorite Slate podcasts? Join The Gist and Trumpcast November 8th for a live election night extravaganza at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Tickets are now on sale, 30% off for Slate Plus members, and go on sale for the general public September 22nd at 10 a.m. Visit Slate.com for more details. And now the spiel. Millennials often complain that baby boomers screwed this country up and now it's their turn. Now, I thought that meant it's their turn to set things right, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just their turn to screw things up also. I say this because the polls between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump indicate it's a pretty close race. Pretty close. Why? A big reason is millennials. Not that they like Trump, they just don't like Clinton enough. This is especially true of young millennials, meaning those under 30. 
In swing states like in Ohio, there was a new CBS YouGov poll. It showed Clinton winning voters under 30 by 32 points. That's good, you say. Yeah, but Obama won them by 63 points. And take other key demographics, African-Americans. Clinton is leading Trump 93 to 3, according to the ABC Washington Post poll. But in an August survey of young voters by Jen Forward, They found that while only 3% of African-American young millennials are going to vote for Trump, Clinton's support was only at 60%, not the 93 of the overall population. The rest say they won't vote or they'll vote for a third-party candidate. Now, I personally do not believe that young black voters will not ultimately rally behind Clinton, just as they have for Democrats in the past. But they're millennials. You never know. Hillary Clinton seems pretty desperate to court the millennial vote. Here she was at Temple University two days ago, saying to them that she relates to that feeling of distrust. I remember wrestling with that challenge when I was a student during the Vietnam War. It can be tempting to think that no one will tell you the truth and nothing's ever going to change. But you're here today because you refuse to accept cynicism. You know that the next 50 days will shape the next 50 years. And you see how much needs fixing in our country. From the soaring cost of college to the scourge of systemic racism to the threat from climate change. Notice how she lists those millennial concerns, college, racism, the environment. You don't hear her talk of terrorism or good factory jobs. Factory jobs to a millennial? How's the Wi-Fi reception? Oh, I kid millennials, but I don't understand them. I understand my generation. I could speak to the Gen Xers. I wrote this address that pleads with them, the Gen Xers, to make the right choice. Here's how it starts. Yo, Pepsi generation in the house. What's up? These are my people. I even know how to speak to the olds. Hey, folks, let's have a rap session. Wouldn't that be groovy? But when it comes to millennials, it's just a minefield. So I started with something. Hey, guys. Wait, what's that? According to the Bias-Free Language Guide at the University of New Hampshire, Hey, Guys falls under problematic slash outdated. That was just producer Mary Wilson, who is, in fact, a voter under 30. Uh, Mike, isn't assuming that Mary is a voter a micro-assumption that's depriving her of her own agency? And that is Chris Berube, producer under 30. Man, oh, man. So I wrote this plea to millennials, but I know they won't hear it unless it gets translated into millennial. So joining me now is a millennial. Hello, millennial. Hello. And you are, your name is? My name is Chloe. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. And as you know, what you're going to try to do here is help me as I try to engage in outreach. I hope you can help me talk to the millennials. I engage in dialogue. Okay, all right. Um, And we hate being called millennials. You know, I kind of hate it, too. In fact, I think generational stereotypes are like the horoscope or how all people born in the year are the rabbit or whatever or a certain way. Um, Your casual assertion about an Eastern culture other than your own is kind of problematic. But let us continue. Okay. Okay. Understood. All right. So I've written this letter to millennials. I hope I could get my point across in an inclusive, non-gendered way. I sense you're engaged in performative generationalism, but continue. All right. Again, with all sensitivity, I'm reaching out, and here is my message to the millennials. I I hope they hear it. All right, here we go. 
Hey, dummies! Uh, so I feel like we should probably get started. So you don't like Hillary Clinton? Who does? I can appreciate this idea of not fully supporting Hillary Rodham Clinton. So she took Wall Street speaking fees. So in 1993, she said super predator. She gained from a white corporate power structure and in 1993 chose hateful terms, further disparaging an oppressed class. So she's not perfect. She is problematic. But sometimes you gotta suck it up. It's important to sit with the discomfort. You can't just indulge whatever your ideals are. You can't just sit in your own silo of ideals. Ideals that in 20 years you're going to look back on and say, wow, I was unrealistic then. Because at the midpoint of your student loan repayment plan, you'll look back and say, big eyes emoji linked to that lame is Castle in a Cloud song. The question is this. Will that reverie in two decades... Will that be during a time when the country elected perhaps the least qualified, preening, thin-skinned, bully madman? Will this be a country that has elected yet another white, heteronormative man whose adherence to the great man theory of history is outpaced only by his adherence to the I am a great man theory of his story? Or will it elect Hillary Clinton? Or will the country elect Hillary Rodham Clinton? Who will, remember, and this ain't nothing, become the first woman president? The first straight-identifying cisgender woman of European-American ancestry president. Alongside heroes like Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Harriet Tubman. Jennifer Lawrence, Adele, Hermione Granger, Beyonce. Wait, two of those people aren't even American. Residents of the United States. One is a fictional character doesn't conform to norms of fictive corporealism. All right. I'm just saying that if Hillary wins, she will be on the Mount Rushmore of American women. I doubt a woman would desecrate nature and tribal lands in order to forefront privileged slaveholders. All right. Let's remember, if it isn't Hillary, it's clear that it is Donald Trump who will win. That's just reality. And you will have contributed to that reality. Not a thought experiment, a reality. So you tell me how that is a triumph of idealism rather than a triumph of birtherism, racism, mercantilism, Philistinism, and guaranteed decline. The Philistines have been unfairly maligned via Judeo-Christian texts as the other, but overall, good point. Okay, well, I'm glad we agree. Uh, Thank you, and perhaps we can be friends. I don't have friends, but I am considering taking on some male allies. But no, we can't. Fine. Let me ask you, are you going to vote for Hillary? I'm dialoguing with my intentional community now about the third-party options. I feel like I really want to give myself the space to vote my hopes, not my fears. So it worked. Great. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson is pretty interested in famous internet dog Marnie. She claims it's not a full-blown fascination, more of a micro-obsession. We keep telling just producer Chris Berube that we love tales of the great white north, but you know, we get it. It's a little colder. The people are more pleasant. We're not trying to crush his identity, but are perhaps engaged in a little bit of micro-repression. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, is interested in the European conflict between Prussia and Austria, fought over Silesia between 1740 and 1748, but only the last few months of that conflict. So more like an interest in the war of Austrian micro-secession. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, was a vegan, but now eats meat, but almost no tripe, just little flecks, micro-intestine. The gist. 
Today we're being really obtuse and retrograde. Not totally atavistic, but it's a bit of a micro-regression. Oomperu, depperu, duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>